power on. Accessing historical database. Year 2020. The tech giants become aware of the greatest threat to their corporatist domination. An obscure science and tech podcast becomes a major factor in a peaceful open source revolt against the military Silicon Valley industrial complex. The podcast, Sovereign Tech. Its host, Dr. Brian Sovereign. The tech giants try to stop Sovereign Tech. They can't. Woo! The show that stands above all the nonsense that does what it always does every week. Here for you, baby. The Golden Stallion, the man of tomorrow, Sob Zoo, the rated R radio star, ready to get into everything that we've got to talk about this week. And we do have a lot in these uh, interesting times, as we uh, as we often say. But of course, how does one survive a crazy world? Well, you do so by being crazier than the world. No, <laughs> you do so by hopefully finding some way to just whoo, inject to mainline, do a tap, tap that big vein right there. Yo, woo. Mainline, some sanity into your life. And, uh, well, I, I have the, the honor of getting to do that from, uh, from time to time. So again, like I said, we do have a, a lot to talk about here. Um, a lot of stories to get into. I mean, so many actually, in fact, somebody in the sovereign tech, uh, uh telegram group even commented on this. I mean, just the, the, I mean, and look, we're just talking about science and tech, but the news cycle there is insane. Okay. To say nothing, uh, you know, nothing else is going on or say nothing of anything else is going on. And, and he's not wrong. <laughs> like I, I, I could have done, I, I, I think I even responded to him with that. I said, I, you know, really, I could have done sovereign tech every day. Um, and it's the hardest part of doing this week's episode was, okay, what don't we talk about? Because there was just so much. Um, fortunately, you know, I, I do not exist in a vacuum, um, as far as uh, podcasting goes. And there are great podcasts out there like security now by Steve Gibson, of course, uh, and others who will often cover a lot of the stories that I just, you know, once a week, two hours a week don't always have the time to, uh, you know, to, to deep dive on or get into. So they're out there. You don't just have to listen to me. I would never recommend that you just listen to me, but <laughs> please no, don't, <laughs> but regardless, we'll get into a lot of that here. In fact, our, our lead story, um, we've got some little stuff to get into in the beginning here during the foreplay, but our lead story is very much going to be about podcasting in general, which I don't feel like gets, I don't, not that I want there to be podcasts about podcasting. I know they exist, right? But, you know, as far as like the larger, 
podcasting is very important, frankly, especially right now, because podcasting is one of those remarkable transmittive technologies that does not require the, well, shall we say a lot of the permissions that other uh, forms of entertainment and not just entertainment, but also educational resources. Um, you know, it, it doesn't require much of a budget. In fact, it requires practically none. You know, if you have a smartphone, you could podcast these days. I mean, there's whole platforms that are actually built around you building a little, a mini podcasting empire on your smartphone. Right. Um, or if you have a laptop, all the better, uh, you know, I mean, and, and you can get really, really great professional sounding stuff going on. I mean, for, for, you know, pennies effectively, especially in comparison to any other form of entertainment. And there's plenty of ways to host all of that, you know, your podcast and get it out there to people for what is effectively for free. Um, it's, it's remarkable in that because when you have, when you realize how, how much financial incentives advertising, whatever else, or just, you know, messages coming down from the boys on the board, right? What do you say boys? Okay. <laughs> Some will get that joke. Um, you know, you don't have a whole lot of control over what you can say. We're going to get into that a, a little bit later. Um, but it's, I, it's important to talk about podcasting sometimes at a high level and how it relates to all of us, uh, because it is, it is such a powerful medium. It is so, it, and I dare say it's unique because most of you listen to podcasts, you know, with headphones on and, you know, it's somebody that is right between your ears. They are for all intents and purposes inside your brain. Okay. And that that's very personal. So we'll talk about that in a little bit because there have been some big, there has been some big news and some big shakeups happening in the podcasting space that I think are worthwhile to discuss. And they're particularly worthwhile right now. But before I get into that, um, speaking of, you know, getting, getting in people's heads, uh, no. <laughs> I want to get into your minds or no, I want to hear from you. And in so doing, I teased this on the last episode of sovereign tech. I said, you know what? I think we should create a call in line where people can call in, uh, and leave a voicemail, or I should say a voicemail line, not necessarily a call in line because it won't be happening live, at least not at this time. Um, but where you could leave a voicemail and we could cover it during, uh, you know, when we go over like listener questions during important messages, during our bit of Q and a that we do on every episode where I could actually play your, the audio of you making your point. And you don't actually, that, that's the thing too, is it doesn't have to be a question. It could be you making a point that you wanted to bring up. Um, and I would love to do that. Uh, I've had listeners in the past do reviews, honestly, that like they've done reviews of products. And, you know, they happen to get it. And I, I know that they're, you know, brilliant because you're listening to this show. God damn it. And so I, I went ahead and just injected the review right into the show. And I thought it was awesome. It turned out great. So, you know, whatever you want to do, any kind of audio you want to send my way. I mean, of course I'm going to qualify it. And if I don't want to use it, I don't want to use it. Or if I, um, I mean, I, I would try to steer clear of editing things. Okay. But at the very least, I would tell you if I edited in some way, I, 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 try to be transparent about that. Uh, 
just in case if it's a matter of time, but it is through Skype. Just so you know, uh, the, the phone number is in the show notes, uh, but I'll say it out loud here. And it's one as in North America, United States, uh, one, three, four, seven, four, seven, four, zero, zero, sixty-nine. Woo. How about that number? <laughs> uh, but again, that's one, three, four, seven, four, seven, four, zero, zero, sixty-nine. And that will, it, now when you call that number, you're going to get a generic voicemail because it is being done through Skype. It, and there's reasons I went with Skype particularly. There are other options that people had, had sent to me and each one of them had some kind of issue, either, frankly, they're ridiculously expensive. Um, and we, you know, I, before I certainly, before I put that kind of money down, I'd like to know that this is going to get used a lot. Right. Um, or there were limitations on the length of the audio message being sent uh, which, you know, I, I don't want that. I don't want you getting cut off after five minutes. If you have more to say, uh, or want to explain more after the fact or whatever. Um, there were varying reasons that I decided to go with Skype. Uh, and so that's, that's what I'm, I don't like using Skype, obviously, even though admittedly Microsoft has been a little better about, you know, making Skype a viable platform on just about every operating system on the planet. Uh, regardless, I don't like using it, but we'll, you know, we'll, we'll try this out. We'll see how you use it, how it takes shape, how it works. And, uh, it's a bit of an experiment and, you know, it's important in podcasting to constantly grow, to constantly change and shift. I mean, I, I change the, the, the tone, the tenor, the, uh, <laughs> I change the, the, the format often at least every six months or every year on sovereign tech, uh, depending because I do like to keep things fresh that, you know, that that's very important. So anyway, we'll try this out, but you can call in, you'll get, like I said, you'll get a generic voicemail. So it won't say that it's for sovereign tech. So make sure you're just getting the number right. Um, and leave your message. It's probably a good idea to, you know, write it out what you want to say. I mean, this is true. Even if it were a live call in show, um, I remember when I used to do, uh, actually sovereign tech sponsor, free talk live, when I used to be a host on free talk live, um, we would recommend that to people write down what you want to say when you call in, you know, and that's live. Uh, this isn't live. And so you have even better opportunities to try that out. Uh, I mean, you're also open to, well, if you're in the telegram group, frankly, you could send me the audio file. If you wanted to record it and make sure it turned out how you wanted it to, uh, I'm open to that as well. But if you just want to do a call in or whatever, rock and roll, use, uh, you know, use Skype for it. And there you go. So I look forward to hearing your questions and your thoughts. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited for this. I mean, I got such tremendous response, uh, people wanting it. So uh, it's set up now. It's ready to go. And again, I, I it'll go right to voicemail very quickly. So just call in 347-474-0069. Love it. <laughs> Anyway, so there you have it. Uh, go for it. Use it again. It's in the show notes as well to make sure you get the right number. Um, let's start talking up some other stuff here. So I was, uh, actually I did update. We talked about this on the last episode of sovereign tech and Microsoft did. I want to say it was Monday or no, no, maybe. Well, it was just a few days ago, um, that they did finally release uh, windows 10 update 2004. They're calling it the may update, uh, but it's technical number is 2004 as in 420, which they, <laughs> I mean the 2004 windows, 2004 jokes are great, but the windows 420 jokes would have been, 
on a whole other level, but oh, well, we're not going to get those. Uh, but that's all it really means is referencing April, 2020. That's what that code number means. Um, anyway, so I updated, uh, one machine that I have here that is running windows. Uh, the update went fine. I have not, I've been using it for a few days. Um, I have not run into any issues. It did not, they are doing a, an even slower rollout than they've done with other updates. Of course, uh, it appears to some degree that Microsoft is learning their lesson, um, about, you know, they're not, they're not, I don't even think they really made like a big announcement about it. I mean, they announced it, uh, and generally the way you can get it is you go into, you know, updates and security or whatever. And in the settings panel. And then when you, if you ever decide to, you know, check for updates and not just have them download automatically, but you like proactively check for them, it'll give you an option below saying, okay, Hey, you know, the windows 2004 or the may update, may 2020 updates out. Would you like to, you know, install it? Um, I did not. I'm, and I was using, uh, an Asus. I was using a, a newer vivo book was an S five twelve or whatever. And it did not, uh, no matter how many times I did that after it was announced that it was, uh, you know, released fully, um, it didn't, it never gave me the option to download it that way. So I had to go and get the update assistant from Microsoft site. And then it, you know, it, it took it. And again, I haven't run into any issues whatsoever. And I've been using this particular laptop, uh, pretty heavily over the past few days for varying reasons. So, uh, I think I, you know, if, if there was going to be an issue, or anything like super serious, I probably would have noticed it by now. But again, you know, Windows runs on so many different hardware configurations. You just, and that's why Microsoft is doing such a slow rollout. I mean, you just can't tell, you know, how, how that's going to work or if it's going to work for you without any issues. So I'm not saying to run out there and get it right now. In fact, as we have been talking about many times on this show, especially over the past few months, if people want to upgrade Windows, Upgrade to Ubuntu, upgrade to Linux. Okay. <laughs> Version 2004 is out and it's going to last you 10 years. Jump on that shit. Uh, so I'm not recommending anybody go out and update. Um, I would wait if I were you. I have not seen, and we reviewed this last week or last episode as well. I, I'm not seeing any, we'll talk about some of this, but I'm not really seeing any, any features that are just, oh, <gasps> holy shit, I've got to have this right now. You know, like, there's nothing like that. So just when, when Microsoft is, is finally ready to serve it to your hardware configuration, and yes, they know what your hardware configuration is. Should that bother you? Of course, but they know just let it just take it when it comes. Okay. And, and even then, if, if you're really, I mean, I do recommend when, when Microsoft recommends it, I'll go ahead and say, yeah, go ahead and install it. But the real answer here is, is, you know, just get away from windows anyway, in the home. Um, if you're using it for professional purposes, of course, we've discussed that many times. Fine. There's very specific software that gets between you and you making your money and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Then, you know, go ahead and keep rocking windows, but for everybody else, that's just doing their personal little shit on it, you know, and, and I don't say that disparagingly, but you get my point, get off of windows already. Anyway, so that is, uh, that that's out there. And again, I haven't, we'll have a conversation. You know what? Let's have it now. Okay. I was going to say, well, we're going to have a conversation around something else that, because Microsoft had their build conference where they, and of course it was all virtual right now, right? COVID-19. Um, 
but where they announced uh, various things and it makes sense that they're the, the, the 2004 update would come out uh, not long after that, but something that they did release that I actually want to take some time to talk about. So one of the major differences in, um, in the 2004 update. Okay. Is the, it has to do with Cortana. Now, Years ago on this show, I talked about how ultimately in the future, and I did not put a set timeline on this. Okay. But I mean, I was predicting in, you know, at least 10 years away at the time. Okay. Uh, and you know, you can base that upon when Cortana was effectively initially announced in my prediction was that eventually Cortana is really what Microsoft wants to be the operating system. Okay. You are not going to, and, and I have a, I have a term for this, which is hooey. Okay. As in, I think it's a bunch of hooey. Hooey is H U I, which stands for hands-free user interface. Okay. Now for years, people have called this, called this zero UI, or there've been a couple other names. And in fact, now, there is a new term out there that I want you to be, <laughs> I don't want you to be terrified, but I want you to be kind of like contact tracing, which we're going to talk about later again, because I said, add this to your lexicon. Here's a new term for your lexicon, spatial computing. And it's a bad idea across the board. Okay. But it is spatial computing is effectively the idea that you don't have a traditional you don't is it's computing done without a screen in front of your face. So it could be done by voice, could be done by, you know, twisting your hands in the air, could be maybe some degree of I mean, to some degree it has to do with augmented reality or, or, or virtual reality, which does require a screen. I understand. But you get my point that it's not a traditional, you know, two dimensional little screen in front of you that that you interact with. Um, and, and this, this term, I mean, this is becoming a thing that people are really pushing now to some degree it's being pushed by certain sectors of, shall we say the tech world to, because they have a lot of money riding in VR and AR and MR and I don't know, SR and fuck R and just pick your R pick your reality. I, all of them are fucked. So might as well all be FR. There's a new term for you fucked reality, but <laughs> uh, I have too much fun with this sometimes. Okay. So spatial computing is, is this concept. And, and I'm going to use this term a lot from now on because I, again, it's all crap. Okay. Because basically spatial computing and the reason I say, and, and, and maybe I'll start using this term that I literally just came up with fucked reality of FR um, because it eliminates your ability to control, uh, uh, you know, what you're interacting with. Okay. Digitally, or frankly, even in meat space, right? Because spatial computing would also include, I mean, you've seen those videos that sometimes they're, they're, they're done as a, you know, in a more fear mongering fashion. Sometimes they're done like, you know, Microsoft does their videos where it's 20 years in the future and, oh, isn't this grand and blah, blah, blah. Um, 
but you know, we're like these videos where you're walking into a grocery store and the prices for everything, there's no labels on the actual shelves. Everything is just popping up in different colors and all that stuff. Uh, you know, like right in front of you in augmented reality effectively. Okay. But all these things, and, and you think that that's, I mean, that's a very simple example and you think, well, what harm could be done with that? Ultimately take those, you know, keep adding that to other ways that you interact with the world. And eventually you completely lose control of your own reality. And not only that, you can't even interact with others because if you don't, you know, pop on the AR goggles or whatever, uh, you don't, you, you can't relate with people, right? Because you have no common frame of reference. And anyway, I'm getting down areas that are much larger and require, frankly, a multi-episode series to really discuss. We've, we've talked a lot about this. And I mean, cause there's a reason I call it hooey, right. As in his bullshit. Um, we talked a lot about it over the years and at some point, maybe we'll get into it a little bit deeper, but we will touch on it here. Okay. But it, it comes in, in a two stage process because one is understanding. And I still stand by the theory that I have the prediction that Cortana, because Cortana is really just Azure, right? Which is all of Microsoft servers and cloud services. Okay. That that's all that Cortana is, is really a front end for that. All right. Now in uh, update 2004 for windows 10 Cortana has been removed from being deeply baked into the operating system. Now you might see this as Microsoft uh, forfeiting or conceding in the virtual assistant space. You know, it's them saying, well, you know, Alexa, Siri, and Google assistant have won and we didn't win. So we're stepping back. I don't know what a lot of this, what this update to Cortana, how much of that affects um, Cortana on Android. And I think Cortana is on iOS as well. Um, I haven't installed it on my iPod touch, but regardless, um, I'm not sure how it's going to take shape there, but basically Microsoft's verbiage around this or their marketing around this is that we are going to make Cortana more focused on productivity. So Cortana is going to be more helpful to you within the realm of your Microsoft 365 account, right? And now like the, the app does not, and, and, and this is, this is what's key because I think there is the confusion that because it's getting pulled out of, you know, the really like deep into the kernel of, of windows 10, that somehow, again, they are backpedaling on Cortana development. I don't think that's true because really all they're doing is, is that turning it into an app and something that, that gets in, uh, updated through the Microsoft store is just allowing them to add more features and be more agile with Cortana's implementation than having to wait for twice a year or for monthly cumulative updates, but they could update Cortana by the day or multiple times a day if they wanted to at this stage. And I mean, the one advantage or for the user, in my opinion of, you know, basically un unbaking, <laughs> that's not even a word, but unbaking uh, Cortana from the windows 10 cake you know, the one advantage a consumer would have is, and this is the first thing I did as soon as I installed update 2004 is I said, it's like, okay, so can I go and uninstall Cortana then completely? If it's just a separate app, that's great. If it's not in the operating system anymore, no, you can't, <laughs> or at least you can't traditionally, maybe there's a PowerShell script where you could do that. But anyway, my point here 
is that Cortana there, I don't think, I mean, they are backpedaling on Cortana in certain ways. Yes. But I think in many ways, this is them doubling down on Cortana. All right. And them pulling it away from, you know, the core of windows 10 is really more about making Cortana more ubiquitous, not about lessening its impact. Okay. Because as we've, you know, talked about also and kind of predicted is that eventually Microsoft is step or, you know, really Microsoft is stepping away from windows in general. And in fact, they might open source it someday and, you know, like really make it a completely free, you know, operating system. And it won't matter because you are going to be paying for your subscription service. You're going to be giving them their allowance money with a Microsoft 365 account. Now, so if Cortana, if windows doesn't really matter, then what matters? Well, I think you've got a key and not that this is new because Microsoft has experimented with headphones before, but they are going in the same direction that Google saw and that Apple, uh, of course, saw years ago with AirPods, which, you know what? I mean, I keep reading that somehow people have come to accept AirPods is not looking strange. No, motherfuckers. No, I'm not sorry. I was going to say, I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. That still looks like cum dripping out of your ears. They look ridiculous. And I think they're still completely impractical. If you actually, and look, I've tried, okay? Because eventually I was like, oh, you know, can I just try your, your, your AirPods on? I just want to see what this is like. And so I popped them in. And to say nothing around the concerns around Bluetooth and all that shit being that, so, you know, blood brain barrier and not even going to go there. Okay. We don't have to, we don't have to go that direction. Um, though I really wish Steve Gibson would, but cause he talked about it recently, but anyway, that, we're not going there. Forget about that. I'm like, okay, let me just see if I, for some reason want to, you know, just, just go for, uh, you know, on a sprint or, you know, I got to run for some reason. And in the world we're in right now, fucking a, you might find yourself. You might have to start running out of nowhere. Right. Or you might have to climb a ladder or you might have to fuck climb a tree. I don't know. Okay. Basically, if you have to instantly jump into action to say, do something as simple as, I don't know, survive. Would that, you know, how much the AirPods cost over a hundred bucks, whatever. Now, granted, if you're just trying to survive, do your AirPods matter? No, of course they don't. Okay. But like, you know, just if you just instantly, you know, want to get into motion because I see, and I I can't believe this. I mean, you know, back when the gyms were open (laughs) back when, you know, I'd see people wearing those at the gym and I'm like, how do you, how the fuck do you work out with that without losing those things? And I guess people just don't actually move, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're like, it's like they're stone figures or something. Because the instant I just like went into a a brisk run wearing those AirPods, I mean, they just flew out of my ears. Now I don't have like over large ears or anything along those lines, but yeah, I mean, people have known that this is a thing since the eighties back when we had those like, you know, stupid little earbuds and those. No AirPods are dumb. Okay. (laughs) They look dumb. They function in, in a way that I think is antithetical, but they function in a similar way now. Cause actually, and, and I think Microsoft's response to this idea of having an assistant directly in your ear, which is ultimately, I mean, AirPods are, 
what is the purpose of AirPods? We talked about it when they first came out. It's the same thing I'm going to say about the Surface earbuds, which Microsoft just released. Okay. It is eventually Apple wants you to get away from the smartphone itself, from the iPhone itself. And no, they're not making an ass ton of money off of iPhones right now. They're not. Okay. That's why they, that's why they stopped showing their numbers as to investors and thus the rest of the world to how many iPhones they're selling per year. Um, eventually they want to, they want to get to where you are completely interacting with your Apple ecosystem, which you're probably in, if you have an iPhone, not guaranteed, but you probably are through Siri and Siri, you interact with through, uh, you know, your, your, your AirPods. Okay. All of this gets into a big conversation around 5g. And that's why all these companies are so hot about 5g because then they can eliminate more and more devices until eventually they are just completely in your ear. But again, like we've said this whole time, as soon as you remove the, as, as you, not as soon, but as you remove interfaces, you lose control and you become beholden to what Apple, Microsoft, Google, go down the list of the sinister six of tech giants, you know, you become beholden to what they off put on offer for you and how they want you to interact. So Microsoft has come out with uh, earbuds and these things, uh, I mean, they don't look much better than the AirPods. At least it doesn't look like jizz coming out of your ear. Uh, but it does look like a giant, like, I mean, it's like a white pad. It's almost like a, it looks like if you stuffed cotton into your ear. Okay. Um, I do like that they are, and I know AirPods are the same, but where they're not, you know, it doesn't like suction cup into your ear. That's good. But it's of such a size that, it, you know, it fits well enough into your ear cavity. And so, you know, I mean, it has a little bit of a better look. It's definitely noticeable when you are wearing them. Okay. And they were showing these off. Um, you know, they've had, I mentioned those videos where they show like 10 years in the future, 20, you know, 20 years in the future. And these videos are actually very interesting to watch from Microsoft where they're showing their, their version of the future and all that. Um, they, they showed these in the past in some of those, uh, those videos. In fact, I think it was like in 2015, they had that, um, productivity future vision. So this has been planned for about as long as since I was predicting that this is the direction they were going. Actually, I was predicting, predicting it before 2015, but clearly I, I, I think I accurately saw, uh, you know, where they were going with all of this. So these things sell for $200. They, for 200 bucks, they don't do much. <laughs> okay. Um, and they also to operate, at least at this time, they need to be connected to an app on your smartphone. Uh, so that, and, and they operate on, on swipe features and all this, which they're big enough to where they could have had buttons on them. Um, I, I'm reminded of Plantronics when Plantronics updated their backbeat fit, uh, a couple of years ago, they went away from originally their, their backbeat fit, which is a Bluetooth headset, really minimal that I, I probably the best Bluetooth headset ever made if you're into Bluetooth. And I understand if you're not, um, the Bluetooth headset still had like so many little buttons on it where you could control a lot of functions, you know, volume, go to the next track, pause, all this different stuff. Right. And, and I really like that. Then when they came out with an updated model, I guess it was like the pro 3000 or whatever the fuck they named it. Then they went to all swiping motions and I, I just, I hated that. 
I mean, I really like it, it just, it did not work. And in fact, I even, there were even times where like my sweat would drip off and it would act as a swiping motion. I mean, it was just completely inefficient compared to just having a nice little button on the goddamn thing. So I think that, you know, this idea of just having a touch surface uh, surface is a fail in and of itself, but whatever, I know this is the direction that everything's going. Um, but I mean, I got to give it credit for having some kind of touch functionality, some kind of, uh, you know, not totally hands-free UI, right? Um, perhaps unlike the AirPods that, you know, does allow you to do some things a little more privately without having it to solely rely upon voice commands. I'll give it that. But ultimately, the and uh, there's a link in the show notes for you to check them out. Ultimately, I feel like the Surface earbuds are where Microsoft wants you to go. Okay, as in the Surface earbuds will be where you interact mostly with your data from, you know, how, however that takes shape, you know, even if something like, I mean, and granted that means somebody else, I mean, you're, you're never going to get rid of, you can't get rid of completely the keyboard, but I'm sure Microsoft would love it, uh, for varying reasons because they are so knee deep in the enterprise space is if in society at large that they made the keyboard, something that you only interacted with at work, which also happens to be where your Microsoft 365 account comes in. Right. So I think these earbuds are pointing more at the future where, and it's part of productivity. And even when they were first, you know, uh, uh, impl- or, you know, thought up at Microsoft itself, they considered it part of their productivity vision. And again, that was five years ago. So this is the direction that they want to point you. I don't think I should have to tell you again. They, It's not that they, you know, want to add this on to everything else that you have. It's that ultimately they want to eliminate all of the other interfaces that you have. And that's, that's, I mean, basically the marketing that they're putting around these earbuds alone. And I think that this is the same direction that every company wants to go. Apple wants to go this direction because again, it gives them more control. You become more hooked, right? Uh, I mean, for just a quick example, Good luck. Say you want to use a different app uh, or how about with Android? Okay. Let's say with Android, which allows you to install other app stores. Hey, maybe you'd like to use a different app with amazing functionality. That's just not allowed on the play store. Is this a reality? Does this happen often? Yes, it does. Or you just want to use a version of the app that maybe doesn't track the fuck out of you. Great. Okay. So try doing that with these earbuds. Like how do you even install an alternative app? Do you see my point? That's they're, they're trying to get you in, in, in for they're already closed gardens, but they're trying to close them even deeper, even further. And that's, that's the real point here with this. So I think, I don't think that Microsoft again is ultimately backpedaling on Cortana. No, the earbuds with the earbuds, they are doubling down on it. Are they going to get very far with the $200 price? I mean, surface products have been trying to be more aspirational for ever since they started. Um, at 200 bucks, you're not going to get a ground swell because these just don't do enough. I mean, they have, apparently they have great sound, um, you know, but, but there's just, there's nothing, you know, there's no real killer app, no pun intended. There's no real killer app with these to make people want them for 200 bucks. You know, uh, if they were a hundred bucks, even then, I mean, you, you'd have to get to $50 where you could somehow convince everybody to jump on it. But unlike 
other uh, uh, earbuds of this kind or in this vein, I should say, I don't know that there's a way to cut the cost because there's actual, it's not just a speaker, right? Like there's some actual, you know, pretty, pretty serious, uh, you know, technology involved in making these do what they do because they are two independent, you know, earbuds and so on, which I mean, I understand that's also part of why uh, AirPods cost so much as to where Google was able to do it with a little bit less, but that's because they weren't necessarily independent. Initially they had the wire connecting them and everything. Right. I mean, there's just, there's a lot involved here that admittedly justifies that price tag, but then you can't justify the product to the everyday person. And so I don't see this like really taking off, but they're trying. And I think they're, they're really, I feel like Microsoft is looking to play a really, really long game and they are trying to innovate, not so much in software anymore, but trying to innovate in hardware classes that already exist and then hopefully take over there and provide a lot of services with those hardware platforms with your Microsoft 365 account. This is not like, you know, holy shit, I've never heard this before. You know, it's, I'm not saying this is any startling revelation, not this last part of what I'm talking about. There's other parts within it. I think that that should be seen as such. If you've never heard anybody talk about it before, uh, cause I don't know any other tech show that's really like talking about the fact that all of these tech companies eventually just want to get you to where you interact with them. No smartphone, no computer, unless perhaps you're at work, which what does that even look like now these days? Um, and you're just interacting with all of your entertainment, all your, I mean, and yeah, there's gotta be a way that you watch, watch Netflix, right? Well, I'm sure there's a pair of glasses for that. Um, uh, but whatever to where, yeah, you are mainly interacting with them and always interacting with them and doing everything through their servers, through their earbuds. Would that come through 5G connection? Yes. You know, blah, blah, blah. And there it is. Now I've got some other stuff I want to get into in the foreplay here uh, before we get into our main story and a very important hack sec uh, and some other uh, interesting news that we'll get into in the other segments of the show. Um, I, I, I know the instant critique you're going to come up with, but Stallion, if people don't have a screen in front of them anymore, how are they going to interact on social media? Well, let me give you another quick prediction here. And that is that Silicon Valley has been aware of this for a very long time. And in fact, um, I think that Facebook buying Instagram ultimately was about Facebook realizing, and they knew content collapse was coming anyway. We talked about that and they've talked about it and we've, seen, you know, leaked, uh, uh, memos, company memos about the matter. Um, and, and why they're getting into why suddenly Facebook is turning more into stories, right. Uh, and on Facebook proper, but then, or whatever they call them on there that are like Instagram stories and IGTV and all that. The reason they're jumping on board with all of that is because they do know that they want to get to this point where it's not about screens in front of you, or maybe it is a screen in front of you, but it's uh, you know, a pane of glass uh, that you can see through at some point, say the pane of glass, that's uh, the um, you know, the windshield on your car, on your quote unquote autonomous car, if that comes in the future, or it's the glasses that you wear or the contact lens you have over, you know, in your eye or whatever that will show you all of this. And I think that's why a lot of investors also who probably know about this, but just don't talk about it that much. Why a lot of investors are still so hot on Twitter because Twitter is a, you know, it's not about the long form content on Twitter, right? 
Twitter is this weird amalgamation and hodgepodge. that's all about the quick shot as far as, you know, textual content. And I think they see that that will somehow still be, you know, like, like this public message board effectively will still be there, but it'll be something. Yeah. That'll be off to the corner of your eye and on your glasses or that you could, um, you know, speak quickly, uh, you know, what you want to tweet out, um, on there. And, but again, it's all a very, it's a very, you know, it's a micro, what do we say? The micro blogging platform, right? It, it's, <laughs> or that's what they call, used to call themselves. It's all about that. And so Twitter still has some viability. So there's social media that still has uh, places to go. I think that's why investors are also excited about TikTok and some others, not to say that investors are intelligent people, because a lot of times they're not, they're, they'll just put money on whatever it looks like it might pick up with the kids and they have no idea what kids are actually into. And they're hoping that they can basically, you know, kind of like Steve jobs said, right. Where, you know, we have to tell the consumer what they want. They don't know. And which is him and, you know, basically everybody else in Silicon Valley thinking that we're all idiots, which they do. So, um, so, you know, to, to say, what about, you know, social media? Well, social media has already turned into with Instagram, TikTok, uh, you know, and even Twitter being in the short form is already a very quick visual medium. It is not a well thought out, uh, it is not something that, you know, where you take a lot of time and write out that, I mean, which to some degree, I'm just as glad because if I had to read one more libertarian, you know, five page screed in a Facebook post, um, I'd go shit myself. I mean, I just, <laughs> we don't need that. We need, yes. In-depth explanation is a great and wonderful thing. Um, but the last thing I need to hear right now is about, oh, property rights. <laughs> uh, anyway. as if you understand what rights even are. Uh, but regardless of that, but let's move on. Um, something I noticed speaking of, you know, which is in reference to the fact that I was doing, you know, a recent update and install with, uh, with windows, uh, something that I've installed on windows for a long time is almost as long as the product itself has existed. And I don't mean windows. I mean, the product, uh, is C cleaner from Puriform. Now, CCleaner is great. It does a good registry clean, you know, gets rid of a lot of uh, a lot of temporary files and just can often clean up a lot of disk space that previously Microsoft services have not done a good, a very good job of, or it was very complicated to get Microsoft's built in uh, uh, software to do it. Okay. To like to clean up a lot of those temporary files or old installation files and a lot of that other shit. Okay. CCleaner along with like Revo uninstaller used to be real secret weapons for making sure that my hard drive space was, uh, you know, optimal. Um, I still install C cleaner, you know, I think it's still as use. Um, I know that there are people who argue that, you know, the registry cleaner, uh, that that's not needed anymore because a lot of the, the, the leftovers of the registry, you know, doesn't take up a lot of space on modern hard drives anyway, or, you know, hard drives now where you get, on the average computer, you know, you get, I don't know, a terabyte, 512 uh, gig or a terabyte or however much, you know, storage space you have. Um, I mean, that's, you know, certainly I will often deal in computers that have a little 32 or 64 gig EMMC drive in them. And then all of that space really does matter. But, you know, cleaning up the registry was more about having the operating system, having Windows run faster because it wasn't confused looking for older DLLs or even file extension types that were no longer relevant. 
because I uninstalled the software that perhaps was taking advantage of a certain file extension type. Right. So I still felt like CCleaner, you know, did some, uh, did some good business did, you know, did, did something useful. Okay. And it was worthwhile installing. So I was putting it in, it was version 5.62. And now as we know, or I, I would hope sovereign tech listeners know with when you're installing any windows software, you really need to pay attention to the checkboxes and you need to pay attention to the install process because there's a good bet that what you're trying to install is trying to install, I don't know, some, well, frankly, it could be malware or it could be something as, and I would say this actually isn't benign. Uh, maybe they want to install a web browser on you, you know, and these companies do this because either the malware will make them money somehow or including the software as a package. Uh, you know, they got a deal from Google or whoever, uh, you know, that, that, okay, if you include this option in your install process, we'll give you X amount of dollars for doing so. And so that's why they do it. Um, so when I was installing CCleaner, I noticed, and you know, I was unchecking all the boxes. I noticed something very strange and it was actually, it was pretty insipid. Um, CCleaner or Pureform, and let's be clear here. Pureform is owned by Avast. Yes, that Avast, that you know, it has been selling off people's uh, information for a long time and got in a lot of trouble finally for it. Um, remember just earlier this year in 2020, Avast and AVG, both of them got in trouble for doing exactly that with even just their antivirus, their AV software, their antivirus software, they were selling your browsing history to third parties. Okay. Now Avast has their own web browser that they've been operating for a couple of years now, at least that is Chromium based. And there's other companies that do this. Komodo does this, which I mean, we all know the nightmares around Komodo. Um, Komodo at least offers one that is Chromium based and one that is Firefox based, or at least traditionally they had, but Avast has been based on Chromium or on Chrome. You know, well, I mean, that's the Chromium, you know, engine, right? Blink and all that. Uh, and now CCleaner has basically gotten into the game. My guess is now, well, so my initial, I should say my initial guess was the reason they're doing this is because CCleaner does have a pretty good name, especially in the windows space. Okay. Um, this is their CCleaner browser, which they tried to install on you. We'll talk a little bit more about that, uh, is also Chrome based. Okay. But it's only available for windows, even though CCleaner is available on Android and, uh, and Mac, you know, and so on. Um, but I think CCleaner's like brand name, you know, really, really resides on windows machines. And, and I'm not saying that's unfair or like that it shouldn't be, or, you know, that they didn't, they haven't earned it or deserve it. I think they do. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if this started, apparently I, I thought initially, I thought that this was being done because, oh, Avast got, you know, egg on their face this year. And so now they're trying to still stay in the, the browser game but do so by using the other brand they own, which is Pureform, which of course operates uh, CCleaner. But then I found out apparently this has been available to install for some users for over a year. Um, since at least January, 2019, I've seen reports of this. Now I've installed, I granted, I don't use a windows machine all the time, but I have installed uh, CCleaner a few times over the past year. I can recall. 
And, but I don't recall once seeing the CCleaner browser come out uh, up until version 5.62, uh, which I just recently installed. So I don't know what the rollout strategy here is. I wouldn't be surprised if they did go with a broader rollout still under the auspices that I described that basically nobody's touching a vast or AVG, you know, with a 10 foot pole, but a lot of people probably don't know that CCleaner is owned by a vast. Okay. Um, so now th this browser, I've looked into it a bit. I sure as fuck didn't install it. <laughs> okay. But in fact, it's nasty the way they do it because you have to, there's actually a box you have to check and one you have to uncheck to make sure that it doesn't get installed. Like there's one that's going to install it and then there's one to make it default. And it's, it's very confusing. Um, and, and it's, it's opt in to install it. And that's a problem, right? I mean, is that anything new for a lot of this type of software? No, but it's there. Um, so, but I looked into it a bit. Now it's got a lot of nice features in name in the abstract. It has a lot of nice features. It has ad blockers. It has anti-fingerprinting technology, kind of like what, you know, what Firefox would use, um, you know, anti-phishing. I mean, it has like a lot of this, a lot of these really great sounding security features. Here's the rub. I can't find anywhere and even in their, uh, in their, their privacy policy and so on and, and nowhere in their settings, which let's understand that Chromium is an open source web uh, is an open source engine. That's why, or, or browser, that's why all of these, you know, name brand browsers are based on that because, you know, they get to use that for free. Right. And without having to pay any real licensing fees or anything along those lines, but I can't find where other than I know the ad blocker is ad block plus which it should be uBlock origin, but fine. Okay. I can't find what tech they're using to anonymize your browsing or to, you know, do the anti-fingerprinting and all this other stuff. And nowhere does it say like their privacy policy for the CCleaner browser is the same privacy policy as Avast, which what good is that privacy policy done for you? They're selling your, your browsing data willy nilly. So don't touch this thing. <laughs> okay. Is the ultimate end of the story, but this is, do they really, really think that, I mean, they have to literally trick you into using this web browser, which is reason enough to not. Right. Because if they feel like they have to trick you, obviously, you know, they don't trust their own product enough and they don't trust you enough to want to do what's best for you. And I mean, installing it wouldn't be anyway, but you get my point. I just, I don't get where these, where these companies come from, where they think that somehow, like, really, do they think that they are somehow going to get some kind of market share in the browsing space or the alternative? I mean, because, or, well, all right, let's talk about that for a second. Then we'll go, we'll go a little further. I mean, when you think of even a company with the brand recognition, the people that fucking create the, you know, own and operate the operating system itself, that being Microsoft with windows. Microsoft can't even get a sizable market share of people using edge, which to be fair, and I'm just being fair. Okay. I'm not saying this is a good idea, even though I do have arguments around, you know, uh, uh, the less software you install, the better. Basically, if you install windows, should you use edge? It's not a horrible idea from a certain security standpoint, because that's one less attack vector that you haven't installed by installing other software. Sure as fuck the C cleaner browser. Okay. Um, 
you know, if Edge can't get Venom, because look, the, the Credge, right? The Chromium-based Edge, it's actually a pretty damn good browser. Like, I'm going to give it credit. It works really well for what it is, okay? That's what I'm saying, to be fair. If you can't even get people to use that, why the fuck does Piriform slash Avast think that people are going to bother with CCleaner or use the CCleaner browser at any point? Unless they're, maybe they just think, here, here's the two possibilities. One is, is that they think, but this doesn't make sense, is that CCleaner, you know, people will install CCleaner, right? Because they'll get, you know, a recommendation from a friend or someone there or whatever. And those that don't already know to install CCleaner will just install CCleaner and hopefully won't even realize that their web browser changed because perhaps they're already using Google Chrome and the CCleaner browser looks a lot like Chrome. And since it automatically installs uh, and will open up and ask to make sure that something's default, maybe they're just hoping people are stupid enough that they'll go through the process. It'll run and they won't even realize that they switched to another browser. Maybe that's their hope. Okay. But at the same time, like you have to recommend people to use CCleaner, which granted I have in the past. Um, but like the average person isn't going to install CCleaner in the first place. You know, you kind of have to be for lack of a better way of phrasing it. Okay. I'm putting this in quotes. You kind of have to be intelligent to install CCleaner in the first place, unless it's just something you've been doing for years back when, I don't know. I don't know. That, that doesn't make any sense. The other possibility here in which I think is the most likely as to why they're even bothering and wasting the time is that that browsing data, it is worth the time, effort, and risk of tricking people into using this web browser. Because the browsing data that they collect from you is worth that much money. Now, what should bother you about that is that that's money of you, what you're just doing, what you're just doing on the internet, you know, browsing the web that you're not making and that another company is making off of you. Why can't you make that fucking money? Why can't you have the option? No, that's fine. I'll sell my data, right? And, and in turn, you get the money for it, you know, but you, but you get rid of the middleman like Piriform or Avast. That should bother the fuck out of you that just your everyday processes that, you know, that you go through on, on the web make so much money for people and you're not getting a dime of that. And what are you getting? A half-assed web browser in, in payment? That's horseshit. So don't install this. And in fact, if, you know, if we needed recommendation now, don't install CCleaner again. I mean, if you're already using it and you know, you're, you've avoided, I mean, the problem is, is that this was even during an update process. So there's no real way, you know, we can't say, well, I already have it installed. I'll make sure that, uh, you know, that I, you know, um, that I never install the CCleaner browser. Yeah, but even in the update process, they're changing how it happens. Point being, use BleachBit, okay? If you're still using Windows, you haven't jumped away from that. If you're using Linux, you don't really need anything like CCleaner. Not exactly. But if you're using Windows still, just use BleachBit, okay? If I think of it, I'll put the link in the show notes for that. But you can find it. Do that. And that way, you're getting the same, more or less the same feature set as CCleaner. And you're not going to have to worry about that process. And BleachBit's, you know, open source and all that. And just fantastic. Um, I mean, I've, I've been displeased with CCleaner for a long time anyway, you know, so this is just nail on the coffin, you know, for, for me. And I'm certainly not going to bother even recommending. And, you know, like I've used it on Android too, 
Um, and I think actually, you know, funny thing, I think I might've actually recommended C cleaner in, or talked about it briefly in my dark Android book. Um, which I just found out my dark Android book is actually featured, um, by, uh, by BookAuthority.org, who schleps out the Forbes and, and, and some other news sources and all this. Uh, my book is listed as one of the best, one of the top in the top 100, I think there's like 91 or whatever, but it's in the top, one of the top 100, uh, smartphone eBooks of all time. Like that's literally the name of the story, best smartphone eBooks of all time. Um, and I'm in the, I'm actually number 19 in that. Now you can self-report some into those lists, but mine is not one that's self-reported. Mine just showed up. I'm guessing because of, uh, I mean, they're not great Amazon sales whatsoever, but certainly it sells better than others. And quite frankly, I mean, when you go through that list, you're going to realize, holy shit, he really did write the only guide to, <laughs> to security and privacy on, on Android. Uh, I need to update that. But anyway, um, in that book, I think I mentioned C cleaner, but then I, I said, Hey, you know, use SD made anyway. Don't, don't bother with C cleaner. Uh, yeah, don't bother with C cleaner, stick with SD made on Android. If you want that sort of thing there. Um, but regardless, uh, yeah, C cleaner browser, I mean, really, really insidious, the, the install process on this. I mean, it's just, and it's also adding more, more, well, I don't want to use that term. It's adding more reasons. Let's just say that it's adding more reasons to why you should get away from windows anyway, because these companies with software that even is supposedly free are getting just more and more cutthroat with their options and, and, and with just the install process. I mean, they are getting fucking cutthroat. It's bad, you know, and could it eventually get to Linux if Linux takes off more? Yeah, there might be something along those lines, but I think once you get into, especially if you start now, if you've never used Linux before, if you get into what we could almost call the Linux mindset of how to install software and how to go through with all that, um, you know, this sort of thing can't happen to you. And as far as the rest of the world, well, I mean, you know, this stuff's going to go the way of the dodo anyway, right? Because it's all going to, it's all going to become spatial computing. Ooh, it's just everywhere around me. I don't even want to know what an XE is. It's spatial computing. Oh, God damn it. Anyway, <laughs> uh, let's move on. You know, speaking of my dark Android book, um, something that I also recommend in there, a uh, nice little piece of software in that I have talked about and recommended for years on this show is on Android and it's only on Android though. You can get it outside of the Google play store if you need to with F droid, or I think you can even independently install the APK. Um, but it's a messaging app and, but really it's a lot more, but it's a messaging app called Briar. Now I've talked about this many times and considering we're not going to be able to get into this here again. These are the news stories. You know, what can you get into? What can't you? Um, or what do you have time for? What don't you? And I've already taken way more time than I expected on talking about all this stuff in the foreplay. So I want to be quick here and wrap all wrap up these, uh, these recommendations. Um, but, uh, Briar, so oh, I was going to say, uh, signal, we're not gonna be able to talk about signals, new pin system, but people have concerns around that. And I think some of those concerns are a little, are founded. Um, we'll talk about that in a future episode, most likely as this takes uh, shape more, um, but maybe you want to get away from signal. Maybe you don't trust telegram with, uh, some, of your, some of your more sensitive uh, materials. I'll, I'll tell you a platform that I was really excited about, but I figured could not become really practical was 
Briar. And it really is a platform because it allows you to do groups. It allows you to do private messaging. It allows you to do blogging even on it. I mean, like there's just, there's a lot of features there and it could really go a lot further. It is a messaging app. Again, only Android, uh, that operates almost totally through Tor, but not only that, it allows you to communicate without an internet connection. We talked about Briar when I did my first episode about COVID-19 that was based around a, a listener question that I got. Um, we talked, I talked about Briar as being a great option for when you are, you know, more localized, right. And you're not dealing with people say thousands of miles away, that it's a great option because it can take advantage of Bluetooth, even though Bluetooth, <laughs> Oh boy. Uh, I mean, th th there's a conversation to be had there around the security around Bluetooth though. Granted Bluetooth security, I think still stands up a little taller than Wi-Fi as far as security goes. But anyway, we have to save that conversation as well, but it basically, it allows you through different radios that your smartphone has, and they are many, but through different radios that it has and that it's programmed for, uh, it allows for communication without uh, a connection to your telco without, you know, a, a data connection. Okay. To, to an ISP or anything like that. So without the internet, all right, it lets you just talk device to device. We're going to get into that perhaps a little bit more during HackSec. We'll see. We might not be able to have time to get into that because riot is implementing something, not the riots that are going on, but riot as in the peer to peer messenger is doing, or ah, I just let the cat out of the bag riot which is a, also a messaging platform, kind of like the modern day IRC really um, also or is looking to go peer to peer as well. We might be able to get into that a little later, um, but we'll see what we have as far as time. So with Briar, okay. Part of the problem or what's been a, a hang up for Briar, I don't see it as a problem. I see it as a good thing because ultimately anything you're doing online should really lead to, you know, having a, a peer group nearby. Okay. Close to you. Like that's the ultimate end of, of any kind of communication on the internet, in my opinion, outside of, you know, just basic market transactions, if we want to call it that. Okay. So Briar has the, what some consider a problem. Like I said, I consider it a feature where the per the way to exchange keys and to be able to communicate with somebody on it is that you have to scan each other's keys in meet space. Okay. You've got to have the person right in front of you or, you know, again, you could do it over like say a video call potentially, but then that's not creating a secure handshake between the keys because whoever is providing the video, like if you did it over Skype or something like that, well, there's, you know, they, they would effectively have record of that key exchange. Okay. And that's a problem. So you don't want to do it that way. But as of version 1.2 of Briar, um, and, and I, I didn't know about this, but it's fairly recent development as a version 1.2, there is now a way where you can generate a link that you can send to somebody that will allow you to add them to your contact list in Briar. Uh, which, you know, I mean, I, I guess I don't mind it because it's optional. You know, you don't have to connect with people that way if you don't want to, and you can still use Briar 
in the more in-person key exchange way that I love about it. But I could see where there's an advantage here. And if you're looking to get away from signal because you're concerned around uh, cloud storage or other matters that have to do with the pin system or maybe a direction that they're going, which by the way, real quick, I warned you a long time ago, okay, about how signal, how Moxie Marlin spike wants to get away from signal being so federated. And I said, that's a bad idea, but that's the direction that he wants to go. So anyway, so if you're looking for that hyper secure or that far more secure uh, platform, maybe more than telegram or something like that, Briar, again, it's only on Android. Okay. Uh, is certainly a place to look in my opinion. Um, and look a little deeper on it, but now it is something where you can communicate with people more remotely. Briar's main flaw now, and actually Riot runs into the same issue, is that, you know, it's it's a bit of a resource hog, and so it can drain your battery pretty hard. Um, so that's something to, to keep in mind. But I think that Briar has now become, I mean, there are options now for Briar, especially like with group functionality and some other things. I'm very intrigued. Uh, by this. So anyway, just letting you know that that that's happening. Uh, speaking of other, you know, as far as encryption, uh, encrypted communications goes, uh, there has been a, a breakdown by uh, the people at APK mirror about uh, Android messenger. Uh, yeah. It's just Android messenger, right? Which is the default SMS client for Android uh, Google it, with their new RCS protocol, which they've rolled out widely over the past year. Uh, they are looking to make text messages end end encrypted. Now, this is entirely possible to do. Um, I mean, it, it really is uh, because, well, speaking of Signal, back when Signal used to be two products, remember it used to be, I think it was Redphone and it was Tech Secure. Redphone was your you know secure call app. And then Tech Secure was basically a way of using SMS to send encrypted texts. And it did it and it worked for a while until they switched over to data messaging and they turned it all into one app and whatever, and which was fine. But you know, until they did that. Um, so this is possible for them to do in the right way. We don't have all the details on what the encryption is going to look like and everything, but I do think that that's very interesting that really Android messenger is just going to turn into what it's been trying to be for a while. Uh, an iMessage competitor. That's, that's really what they're, what they're looking at here. Um, so we'll be keeping an eye on that development. Um, and you know, I'll certainly let you know more at, as they do it, but I mean, yeah, it's totally possible to do uh end to end encryption over SMS. Um, because again, it's been done before, you know, by, by tech secure or by, uh, you know, open whisper systems or what is now the signal foundation, uh, you know, years ago. So looking, uh, looking for, well, again, we'll, we'll see what happens with there, uh, with that there, because Google had to force, I mean, I, I don't know how that's going to take shape and, or if there's going to be some kind of legislation around it when it happens. And I say that because I don't know what kind of trouble Google got into when they basically forced RC, the RCS protocol, um, you know, onto, onto, onto Android because they were waiting. Initially they were waiting for telcos, you know, for Verizon and whoever else to implement it. And they were just taking too long. And so basically Google just circumvented all of them and just, you know, said, well, we control the, the texting app anyway. So we're just going to turn it on, you know, and, and they just did it. Uh, but I, I wonder if the end 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 encryption part of this is going to become a, a point of contention with the telcos, but anyway, we'll see. But I think that'll wrap it up for the foreplay. I'll be right back with more. You're listening to Sovereign Tech.
Hey, is Sovereign Tech not enough for you? Well, let me tell you about something you'll never get enough of. No, no, I mean it. We're talking about a radio show and podcast that goes all night long, seven nights a week, three hours a night, 365 days a year, and has been going since the early aughts, baby. I am talking about none other than Free Talk Live. It's the show you control. That's right. It's an open phones call-in show that is ready for you. And if you're worried that your voice isn't going to get heard, don't be. We are talking about the only libertarian radio show stateside. And not only that, it's also the number 26 talk show in the United States. Start listening now and go ahead and hit that massive back catalog at freetalklive.com. The Golden Stallion guarantees a good time. And you might even find some episodes with me on them when you do. That's freetalklive.com, and we thank them for sponsoring Sovereign Tech. Let's get back to the show. The main story. It is time for the main story, where maybe we can take a <laughs> little bit of a break from outrage. Uh, of course, that depends on how you feel about this. Um, like I said at the top of the show, we have a conversation really to have about podcasting. Now, the impetus for this is due to a, a deal, an announcement that has quite literally shaken the podcasting world. That deal being that Spotify has done a deal, and we don't have all the details on how much this deal is for, what kind of multi-year deal it is, anything like that, we don't know. But they are going to get exclusivity to the Joe Rogan experience, which is probably the biggest podcast in the world. Um, I would say, I would argue not rightfully so, uh, because I don't think Joe Rogan is that intelligent. Um, he has great guests on often enough, who many times are very intelligent, not all, but many times are very intelligent. But you know, he's not, it's not like it's him being interesting on his show. It's his guests being interesting on his show. Right. As to where I think the mark of a truly great podcast is when it's, you know, a set group of people, or maybe it's one person not tooting my own horn here at all. And I mean that, um, but where it, it it's, it's a set, uh, uh, mind or minds presenting you with information every week. I mean, I, I just, I do guests on the show and I'm happy to do them. I would never make that a mainstay feature or I will not, I don't mean guests. I mean like interviews. Okay. I have done interviews guests. Like if Ellen wants to come on, she could come on every week and that's fine. But then that's very different than from what Joe Rogan does. Right. Point being is that I want the person behind the mic to be fucking brilliant or entertaining. And Joe Rogan is neither. Some of his guests are, but he is not. And so I don't feel like his show is worthy. And I've said this for years. This isn't me saying anything new. Okay. Or any jealousy around his, uh, his podcast deal. All right. But bottom line is just that I, I don't think his show deserves the veneration that it has. Um, he sure as fuck isn't as good as Howard Stern, right? Which is somebody who also has guests, but then, Howard Stern is really the entertaining person. 
and really the interesting person. You're going to hear Howard. You're not going to hear his guests. Uh, but the deal is similar into how Howard Stern, you know, signed exclusivity like with Sirius XM years ago. Uh, of course, that was a really, really major deal, uh, again, in the same vein. But something that I've talked about over the years on this show is that, and we thought maybe Apple was going to try for it. Like, I think if, if Apple bought Joe Rogan, I don't think that would have shocked anybody. I think Spotify doing it is what surprised the fuck out of people. Okay. Now, does this make sense for, for Spotify to want to do granted? They've been trying to, they've been ramping up their podcast, uh, uh feature set for the past couple of years. Uh, I mean, even this show is on Spotify. Um, it's not exclusive to Spotify, but now Joe Rogan is going to be, um, it's not, I mean, considering what we were talking about earlier with the surface earbuds and the purpose of AirPods, the ultimate end game of those kinds of devices, those audio devices, uh, Spotify is in a great position to be a major part of the future where you largely interact via, you know, a, a speaker in your ear with a microphone attached. Okay. So, you know, this is, would investors say, cause we, you got to imagine this was a multi multi-million dollar deal for Joe Rogan to be willing to do this. I mean, who knows what that number is, but it's gotta be through the roof. Can you, I mean, how, why would investors go with that? Because if I were an investor, I would instantly say, well, you know, he's already on your platform. He's already on Spotify. Why do we have to buy him for exclusivity? What sense does that make? What? So people have to use the Spotify app for podcasting. It's like, I don't think that's reason enough because they can already use it. It wouldn't make sense for an investor unless you told them that, well, in the future there, people aren't going to really have so much choice in podcast apps because we're going to force apps on them through their earbuds. Okay. Then suddenly an investor says, aha, all right, then we better get the most compelling content that we possibly can onto, you know, on, onto, uh, onto our platform. Right. And in this case, Spotify. Now, I think for a while, people really did expect Apple was going to do this and they seem to have doubled down by separating podcasts and turning it into a separate app on iOS and Mac OS away from iTunes that they were really doubling down and starting to get serious about, uh, podcasting. And they have not over the years since we thought that they were going to do that. Uh, they, and it's a totally missed opportunity on their part because they are still ultimately, despite this deal, and it doesn't start until September, Apple is still ultimately the dominant player, pun intended, still the dominant player in, in podcasting. Whether or not this move by Spotify is going to inspire Apple or any other platform, Google Podcasts, whatever, to start doing exclusivity deals with podcasts. I can't say for certain, I would imagine that it would get them interested in it. I mean, the other company that's dropped the ball on this is Amazon because audible audible has had podcasts and they've done exclusivity deals and where they've sold podcast episodes over their platform in the past, like with Susie bright and some others. Um, but they never got serious enough, I think with that, but they really could have. And I think that was a severely missed opportunity, um, on their part, but maybe, maybe they'll pick up on that again, depending upon, I'm sure the industry overall is waiting with bated breath. 
how many people, how many new Spotify installs are there going to be between now and say the end of the year, between now and September, you know, when this news gets out and ultimately when it happens in September and so on. And if it is a significant amount of people, because those motherfuckers have just got to listen to, to, to Joe Rogan for some fucking reason that goes well beyond my, my mind. I mean, I've listened to episodes. I get it. Like, Oh, that that's good. They, they did a great interview with John Carmack. That's nice. Uh, you know, and, and so on. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe this will inspire people. I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure or, or inspire other companies to, to take this seriously, but now podcasting something to understand is that podcasting in my opinion is not just because of the earbud, uh, future. Okay. If we want to call it that, that we were describing earlier, but podcasting is very much the future of entertainment in a lot of ways. Um, I think even Netflix ultimately isn't really safe. Um, I mean, there's a lot of different ways that I think that this could go, but people being on the go, people always having a speaker in their ear and that being like the way that they interact with the world and blah, blah, blah. Um, podcasting is just going to become more and more prevalent and popular. Okay. Um, and believe it or not, I mean, people who listen to podcasts can't believe that there are other people that don't, you know, and, and I, I know that, um, but there are a lot, most people don't listen to podcasts. Uh, but I think that that is going to dramatically change in the future, uh, and not in the far flung future either. Okay. Um, so podcasts are, I would say really the future of entertainment because it is an entertainment that allows you to be on the go and do things at the same time, or, you know, it allows you to play. I mean, some people, and I know a lot of people, I do this sometimes I'll listen to a podcast while I'm playing a video game and so on. It allows you to multitask and there's just so much shit to do. And you feel like there's just so much you have to keep uh, abreast on. There's so much that you have to keep up to date on and blah, blah, blah that. uh, Yeah. I mean, people, to fit everything in, I think people feel the need to multitask at all fucking times. And I understand, believe me, I often feel that need as well. And it's something that I've really had to come to terms with is that to be ultimately to be a mentally cogent, physically healthy and so on human being. Okay. To be a healthy human being. I need to do less, not more. Now that's a big conversation to have. If you want to ask me about it, you can, and I'll, and I'll talk about it at some point, but, and, and I don't like it. I mean, here's the thing. All right. So, so I guess this is kind of a side tangent to get on, but let, let, let's talk about it. Okay. Here's the thing with this, or with, with this idea of, of doing less is that, you know, so many of the, so many of the things that I have been into, like, I haven't really dropped uh, a lot of shit that I'm into because, you know, I didn't make the, you know, I'll just say it because I don't care, <laughs> you know, because I'm not on a multi-year deal. All right. Like, uh, like, like Joe Rogan is or something. And in fact, I mean, let's be clear here about this. Let me make this point abundantly clear about, and then, then we can talk about, about this more. Okay. Um, with podcasting, you know, part of, part of the advantage of being a podcaster, like we talked about at the top of the show is that you don't have to be beholden to advertisers. If you don't want to be, 
You don't have to be beholden to platforms if you don't want to be. The problem is, is that Joe Rogan has just become beholden to Spotify. And there is the chance, unless he put it in his contract, there is the chance that he could talk about something that is just fucking anathema to Spotify. What if he starts talking about how, well, shit, I think Bluetooth headphones are unhealthy, which there is pretty good evidence for. Spotify is going to pull the fucking plug on him. He can't talk about the truth if that ends up being a truth. Do you get my point? As soon as you start making deals like this, as soon as podcasters start making deals like this, their lips are, on certain subjects, sealed. Granted, to some degree, if you buy into social pressures and like you have to have such and so many numbers every week for your show to make you feel good about your fucking self because you don't feel good about yourself intrinsically, you are going to be very careful about some of the things that you say anyway, right? Like Joe Rogan has to walk a very fine line. This is part of the reason I also think that his podcast is shit because he has to walk a fine line of not, you know, to have as many listeners as he does. You can't get into root striking subjects and and look, you just can't not really because you're going to, or maybe you can let some of your hosts do it. Or I mean, some of your uh, uh, interviews or guests do it. But you as the host can't take a stand because you're you're going to piss off your liberal crowd or you're going to piss off your conservative crowd. Me, I don't worry about that. This show stands so far and fucking above and beyond any the concepts of liberal or conservative. Fuck all of that shit. And fuck identifying with it. But at the same time, I know that my audience is, you know, going to be limited to, I mean, I I'd love it if I get more than 20,000, you know, right now I hover at around 20,000 listeners a week. Okay. I'd love if I could get beyond that, but then I also kind of anticipate that I, I may never do that. Now, granted, those people are incredibly passionate about this show and that can mean more to, let's say, if we were worried about making money and advertisers and things like this, fine. All right. But I mean, I, I'm, you know, I think that the, the, the real future of being able to, to have root striking, truthful entertainment and educational and informational content is that you've got to get away from the money behind the thing. Let people make donations if they want. If an advertiser reaches out to you, fine, but you make it explicitly clear that you will not be fucking beholden to their dollar with your mouth. cannot care about the money. The instant you care about the money, truth goes out the window. You understand? And that is a big problem with this concept of exclusivity deals with podcasting. And that's one of the main points that I, that I, or it might even be the main point that I wanted to bring up with talking about this deal with Joe Rogan is that this is ultimately hurting a medium that was free from all the bullshit that other mediums like movies and, and even radio and uh, you know, and TV and everything else that they, cause they were all beholden to the networks, the executives, the advertisers, the, the, whoever got so outraged that they had to call up, you know, the boss, whatever podcasting was beyond all of that. And now we are reverting to where that is no longer true. And that is a problem. We're reverting to podcasting is starting to enter that category of, you know, I mean, as far as popularity, I saw going, you know, meeting the popularity of movies and so on anyway. 
But now it's also, it's not just taking on the positives of being popular. It's taking on the negatives as well, because now you are going to be beholden to contracts with your platform, the distributor of the fucking show. The beauty of podcasting again was that it was federated. You know, as long as I have the feed, I can put it in whatever app that I wanted. Right. That is changing. And that's unfortunate. This is the importance of having a donation model. If you need to, if you want to make money off of your podcast or fund it. And as compared to like, it's reliant upon how much content you get out there, what you say in the content and blah, 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 blah. I mean, you're always beholden to what you say, because if you piss somebody off, they're not going to donate to you, but you know, you gotta, you gotta be willing to, to, for lack of a better phrase, stick to your guns and hold to your truths, right? Or what you see as truths. So now the point I was going to get to earlier, okay, because I, I do want to talk about this for a minute. There are, I haven't given up much in, in my life growing up. Like the things that I was into when I was, frankly, when I was like eight, I, I, I dare say 90% of that I'm still into. I can't even think of a movie that I watched when I was that age or I can think of one movie that I watched when I was that age that I don't like now that being the dirt bike kid. I thought that movie was fucking amazing when I was a little kid, but when I became a teenager, I watched it again with, uh, with my best friend at the time and, and we both loved the movie. And we, so we we're like, okay, we're going to, we're finally, we're going to watch it. I found the VHS with it on it. We're going to watch it. And the movie was fucking horrible. <laughs> it was so bad. <laughs> but otherwise, I mean, most of the movies that I think of that I watched from back then, granted, you know, I was lucky in that my parents didn't treat me, uh, like in, you know, that I was infantile and they let me watch grown up shit, you know, like shit that was also made for grownups. And so it still holds up today because it wasn't meant for, you know, it's not veggie tales, right? It's not, <laughs> you know, it, it was stuff that was, that was, that was uh, suitable for grownups as well. And so, you know, you can grow up with it and, and appreciate it more as you get older. You know, I'm, I'm, I do have to appreciate, or I do have to, uh, I guess, respect. I don't have to, but I do respect my dad, you know, for, uh, for getting me into things that wasn't necessarily meant for kids. I mean, it wasn't graphic either, but it wasn't meant for kids. And it was something that allowed me to, well, that inspired me to mature, but also that I got to mature with. So I haven't given up on a lot of stuff. I mean, even things that are, that weren't that mature necessarily. Right. Like I'll, I'll still watch eighties Voltron all day long or Thundercats. Fuck. Yeah. Um, I mean, I still dig power Rangers. I mean, you can go to I, star Wars, star Trek, all these things. I'm, I'm, I'm still into all of them still playing video games. We got a great gaming grid. We're going to get into here in a minute, uh, or in, in, in a little bit. All so many things I'm still into. Here's the thing is that at the time growing up in the eighties and nineties, the amount of this stuff and the venues that these things took advantage of were, was very limited, right? Voltron, you know, for example, was a cartoon. Yeah. You had toys. Okay. But I mean, toys don't have to take your attention. Um, and, you know, and maybe they, they had little books here and there, but it was, you know, a book here and there, or maybe there was a limited comic comic series or something, you know, it, it wasn't a multimedia, uh, 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 fiasco. I want to say fiasco. It shouldn't be a fiasco, but it wasn't like this multimedia, you know, bombardment upon your every sense. Now I don't mind things being multimedia. Okay. You know, I mean, I could actually with star Wars, for example, 
Um, you know, I loved it when Shadows of the Empire came out in the 90s and it had a making book, it had a video game, it had the novel, it had the comic, it had the sequel comic, it had the, the soundtrack by Joel McNeely, you know, it had the whole thing. I thought that was awesome. Like, that was really, really cool, you know. But, you know, actually, Star Wars is a great example to bring up here. Like, here's the thing is that to be into all the things that, you know, I, I never stopped being into. I mean, we've had conversations on TIE Fighter Renegades, the other show I do that I do with my man, Rob, uh, you know, where we've talked about how we feel a lot of modern entertainment and all that. But none of this stuff, like, required so much of my time. You know, I could be into, like, say, even in the 90s, I could be into every science fiction show at the time. I could be into Stargate. I could be into Babylon 5. I could be into Sequest. I could be into uh, uh, Super Force. I could be into, um, you know, My Secret Identity. I could be, you know, I mean, go down the list of it. And you could say, well, that's a lot of television to watch. Yeah, but not really. <laughs> like, ultimately, compared to how much people watch on fucking Netflix, give me a goddamn break, asshole. Anyway, you know, it, it, you could be into all of it because there wasn't that much. And it didn't require you to get the entire story, you didn't have to go all over the place. Now, I, I know this is going to sound ironic to some people, but I'm telling you that I had a realization as late. Because I defend usually the idea of, yeah, okay, with Star Wars, let's have comic books. Let's have, uh, uh, you know, video games. Let's have movies and TV shows and YouTube shorts and whatever else that, that all create one giant universe that's all interconnected. And if you watch it all, you know, you're going to get like the broader story and it's all going to be amazing. Now, granted Lucasfilm slash Disney has completely failed on that end of things. Okay. To where they have not delivered that experience, even though they're delivering all that content. But here's the thing is that every company is so, and this is what we call the attention wars on this show, right? Every company, and this goes beyond well beyond entertainment. Every company is so dying to have every fucking second that they can get of your attention that they're just bombarding you with more and more shit, more and more shit. And, and when the entertainment industry, Hollywood is, is resurrecting every fucking franchise, even things that weren't a franchise that they can to try and hook you in. No, no, you buy this, not buy this, not buy this, not buy this. I mean, and they, they just keep hammering you with it nonstop. I mean, fuck, they're going to make a labyrinth too. Are you kidding me? David Bowie is gone, baby. Leave the classics alone for fuck's sake. But they just, they, and, and, you know, and they know what they're doing. They know that either it's your nostalgia or your interest or your passion or whatever. And those are separate things or whatever it happens to be. They're like, yeah, we just, we got to get them. We got to get the ass and seats. We got to get the ass and seats. We got to get the clicks. We got to get them. And, and it's just, and it, it, I mean, it'll just, it'll run you absolutely ragged, but nothing, nothing is just a TV show anymore. Nothing is just a comic book anymore. Nothing is just a book anymore for the love of shit. I would be amazed if somebody just wrote a book and said, I will never do a sequel. And they never did a sequel, right? Everything's a franchise. Now everything's it's all connected, man. And you have no time for your own fucking thoughts. If you are into this stuff and that's the problem. I mean, I recognize that this is something that might be a rarer case to me and might not apply to you at all. But I think that my abstract point will apply to you. Okay. And that is, we got to, <laughs> all right, hold on. Before I go that, before I go that distance, the point I was going to make earlier in relation to this 
is that I was, and, and, and that I stopped myself from saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. I was fortunate enough that I could still enjoy, you know, the latest movie, the latest book, the latest comic, the latest uh, TV show, the latest video game and all this. I could enjoy these things because I was fortunate. Or, yeah, I, I, I'm, fuck, I'm just going to say it. I was fortunate enough to not fall into the trap of having children at the age of 20. To where I still had free time to engage in enjoying the arts. Now, one could argue that a lot of this stuff has always been about making money. Sure. I, I, I get that. Okay. I understand. We got lucky with some things that got come out that, or that, that had come out not anymore, but at the time, you know, like in the eighties and nineties, because people were just trying to recreate that star Wars magic and they didn't know how it was created in the first place. So they gave some really intelligent people an opportunity. Well, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, we don't know what you're saying, but it sounds like uh, space wizards and, uh, you know, and, and fight scenes. So fine, go ahead and make it. And then we end up with, you know, brilliant fucking shows somehow like Babylon five, right. Or, you know, go, go down the list of them. But we got lucky because the, you know, the execs weren't paying attention, right. As to where now they pay attention or they think they're paying attention because they get social media metrics, which are all bullshit anyway, but they think that somehow those, those have some kind of meaning. But anyway, I was able to keep up with a lot of this stuff because I had ultimate control of my time for most of my life. But now it's to the point that to be into any of these things and, and, and I know that I've felt differently in the past, but again, companies fucked it up. So I'm not going to defend them with this anymore. Now there's just so much shit that you've got to be into with any of this stuff. You can't be into all of them. And again, you kind of have to be my age to, I guess, to where you could have, where you could actually have association, you know, mental association, association of heart, perhaps with, you know, some of these say franchises or whatever else or anything or things that are out there. Okay. But there's just, there's just too much. And even if you're somebody, I mean, I still don't have kids. I still ultimately have, you know, control of my time in many ways. Okay. Um, I mean, I have the most beautiful relationship I've ever had in my life with the most amazing woman, but you know, like to, to, to actually live life, you, you just, you can't engage in all of it. You, you can't, you can't take all of it on. And you really, you've got to learn to do less. Like, you know what? Maybe you need to give up video games. I'm not saying you need to, or you should, or whatever. You take your pick of which one, but we can't possibly do all the things that what counts for the market today is pushing on us. We can't, we don't have time. We used to, because there used to not be so much, right? You used to be able to, like, there was a time where you could basically see every movie that came out in a year. And it didn't actually take a whole lot of your time. There was a time where you could keep up with a lot of the shows that everybody else was watching because you only had so many networks, right? You had five instead of 5,000. There was a time where, you know, you could, and I'm not saying that that was somehow a better world. Don't, don't misconstrue what I'm saying. I am just saying that today you can't be into everything and you have to, this is a time we live in a time 
where it is so important for you to be yourself and to know what you are genuinely into. Because if you are merely into just being into things that allow you to connect with other people, you are going to be like sands at the, at the shore. You are sands at the edge of the ocean and you are just getting whipped back and forth all over the place. And you're not even a person because you have no idea who you actually are. You're just right. Riding. You're, you're, you're just being taken. You're not riding it. You're taking the tide. You're letting the tide just take you. It's horrible. We can't do all these things. We can't be into all these things like we used to be. It's just not possible. And, and now, I mean, cause now all this shit is so engaging to the point that it's constantly taking your attention away. To be a healthy human being, we've got to do less. And it drives me nuts that I see. I mean, there's so many stories where I listen to all the fuck, you know, talk about podcasters. I'll listen to Ben Greenfield. I'm sure he's going to get an exclusivity deal at some point. And like, I listen to everything they do in a day and I'm just like, wait, where do you live? Like at what point in this day? Well, when do you fuck? When do you get freaky for hours on end that supposedly this is allowing you to do so? If you're just, uh, I mean, like I'm just baffled. And all these people, oh, you need to do this, uh, do this at 6.05, then do this at 6.10, then, oh, and you, boy, you better be up at 4 a.m., and you got to do this, and you got to, shut up! The hell I do! I'm so busy, worried, am I getting this in, am I doing this, am I doing this, am I doing this, am I doing this, that I'm not living! And say nothing of the fact of the situation that we're in right now, where, fuck, I mean, you can't even close the door on your job anymore. Oh yeah, Sally, what do you mean you don't feel well? You don't have to come into the office, Sally. You can do it right from home. And somebody thinks that that's a great thing? The fuck it is! You're intruding on my little fortress, you son of a bitch. We have to learn to do less. It's a great book, you know, actually from like 30 years ago, maybe even older called voluntary simplicity. Check it out. Give that baby a read. And just, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you that it's right or wrong or whatever. Just give it a read. And, 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 you know, if you want, you can tell me how it speaks to you. But we are inundated with so much fucking crap. For sure, Spotify is not going to make it any better. We are inundated with so much fucking crap. And we're so concerned with trying to be on top of everything so that we can have that water cooler conversation, whether it's drinking on, you know, in front of your webcam on Zoom, pathetic, or it's, I don't know what the fuck you're doing or how you're doing it. Wearing a mask or not, I don't know. Stop. You should be spending more time in your own head, processing your own thoughts or creating new neural connections. And I don't mean with some, some dumbass comedian on Netflix or on Spotify. 
Do you know? I was going to actually talk about this in the climax because you know we're 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 in crazy times right now. Uh, and I don't give a shit if that's cliche to say, okay? Because we fucking are. It's insane what's going on. The riots, COVID nineteen, all of it. I mean, it's just it, it's. I mean, ultimately, in my opinion, it's just kind of a new thing for Americans. This kind of stuff happens all over the world all, all, all the time. But for Americans, this is definitely, this is, this is something very new. Or fairly new. I, I know about Detroit, you know, back when and Spanish flu. Do you want to know what a really, really revolutionary act is right now? I hate, I don't want to use that term, but you want to know what a really revolutionary act is right now? A revolutionary act is being a peaceful person, picking up a book and just, and, and I mean a long form book and baby, the older, the better and just reading it and not playing into, you know, just the news porn that's going on right now around so much. Developing yourself, working on yourself, working on your intrinsic motivations, not what's going to get you laid uh, by, by, you know, lying for a little while to somebody else about what you're into so that you can get them in the sack. Not that kind of horseshit. No, no, no. You being you, you being the best you, you being the top you, you being in ship shape, baby. That's a revolutionary act. That's something that the system hates. They hate it when you don't buy into their crap. They hate it when you don't pay attention to them. And that goes from, for the system, top to bottom. Top to bottom, baby. From the government, to the entertainment industry, to the news, to social media companies, to Microsoft and your, you know, the, the, the operating system, to the, 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 the computer manufacturer, all of them. They hate it when you don't give them attention. So stop. Because really, let's call this straight, really. You tell me what putting a hashtag and a black picture on your social media feed does for anybody. No, 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 no. That doesn't get visibility to shit. Don't tell me that. What? Wait, you think you think people don't know what's going on? You can't avoid it when it's when it's something big enough. I mean, that that's 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 advice people have given forever. They have always said that, you know, look, if it's if it's really important news, and this is long before COVID-19 or riots or anything else, if it was really important news, you can't avoid it, you're gonna hear about it. Right. So you're not giving visibility. Are you giving support? Kiss my ass. Half the people that I see, and I took a look. You know, because when you hear about this sort of thing, right? I mean, I'm a, I'm a journalist. I'm a tech journalist. So, I, you know, I look into it. I don't pray, but I pray that you never have to be a journalist of any kind or work in PR because, I mean, it'll just drive you mad. Maybe that's what happened to me. But I look and I see the people that are putting up the black photo and, and I just want to be like, shut up. You're not support. You, you are so you are supportive of the status quo. Your mind hasn't changed for jack shit. 
if you really cared, maybe you'd actually get out there. You know, maybe you'd actually like, like be, be, I don't know, like, come on, rock. You want, you want to put up a black photo? How about you get in the front lines? It's just people, it's marketing. That's all that is. Hashtags, you know, any, any movement, let me give you a truth here. Any movement that suddenly has like a hashtag. I mean, you're, give me a break. You don't have to pay attention to the hashtag. I grant you, but like that, that's when you know, okay, well, this has been (laughs) co-opted, right? Existing outside of above and beyond all these things is to the best of your ability, which comes down to you being the best possible person that you can be the healthiest, the smartest, the, you know, go down the list of it. What, and, and that there's, it's all varying degrees for people. I'm very understanding and empathetic and under, and you know, respectful of that. I understand. Okay. But being the best fucking you being intrinsically motivated, being intrinsically being you from the inside out, not what they tell you is popular, not what they tell you, you should be not what they tell you, you should do. I mean, fuck, even if you want to help out with what's going on with the riots, I mean, go online and from the people that have been genuinely affected by it, I mean, you're going to get 20 different answers of what you should doing. Should I shut up? Should I, should I say something? Should I shut up? Should I say, say something? And, and no matter what you do, it's like, you can't be, it, it, nothing's right. That doesn't mean don't do anything, but let me tell you the one thing that you absolutely can do right now, no matter what, in any situation that you find yourself in, from COVID-19 to riots to wherever you are in the world, is you be the best fucking you that you can be. And you exist outside of the system as much as is possible. And you are not reliant upon the system as much as is possible. That's how you get freedom. That's how you actually solve things. That's how you even have the wherewithal to solve things. I could go on forever about this. Let me just assure you that buying a $200 pair of earbuds does not make you a better person. Updating to the latest operating system version ultimately doesn't make you a better person. Reading Twitter doesn't make you a better person. Posting hashtags and pictures on Instagram doesn't make you a better person. I put the challenge to you that 90% of what you probably do in your day doesn't make you a better person. I mean, I know I have a great audience and I I don't mean to insult anyone here or anything like that. And like I have said, I mean, all of this is coming out of recognizing within myself that I am not doing that. I I feel that I am uh, uh, distracted from being the best Brian sovereign that I can be the happiest and being the best leads to that's what it's all about is being the happiest, being the freest. Does that mean you can't be, you know, kick back, be a little lazy and enjoy things, you know, here and no, of course you can. That's part of the happiness. Take a good look. Just take a good look 
If you think you're looking around, the world's going crazy right now, make sure you're not. And I'm going to leave it at that. And this kind of messaging can only happen. It can really, really only happen on podcasting, baby. It can't even happen on YouTube. So I uh, am both intrigued and concerned uh, about the future of podcasting. If now suddenly people are just looking to get multi-year deals with platforms and we also lose the openness of the platform or of the, of the concept of podcasting itself. Uh, not good. This is, I mean, Joe Rogan made a ton of money. Hey, okay, great. But what this is going to do to the podcast as an industry overall, I don't see it as a good thing. With the suddenness of a snapping finger, a whole town dies, almost without a trace. Even if you slit a person's throat, you won't get death this fast. Almost without a clue, except... <coughs> except for a six-month-old baby and a 60-year-old derelict. They have faced the Andromeda strain and survived. But will anybody else? The Robert Wise production of the most incredible bestseller of the decade. The Andromeda Strain. 130 minutes of intense excitement. 96 of the most critical hours in world history. Suspense to last a lifetime. The Andromeda Strain. Please note, no one will be seated during the last 10 minutes. Rated G, but may be too intense for younger children. The Andromeda Strain, from Universal. Issues of privacy security, and social engineering. It's HackSec. It is time for HackSec, and uh, we're having to shake up the show a little bit because, you know, I get heated up and <laughs> things change. So <laughs> uh, uh, this is something that, I actually wanted to go into gaming grid and talk about the, well, have some fun maybe and talk about the, uh, the game gear mini that is coming out. I know, <laughs> believe me, I know. And, it, and it's not good. Uh, but I guess we'll save that for the next episode. Uh, but this is such an important thing and timely thing to really talk about. And well, quite frankly, it's a moment where I could say, I told you so. Uh, story I have here, the link is from CoinDesk, but it was all over the place. Uh, a few days ago, I saw it originally as a headline on Twitter. I know someone, a uh, great listener shared it in the telegram group as well. Um, when it was initially getting, you know, kind of in the Explorer tab on Twitter, it didn't have a link. Like it, it went, I guess it went to a video, but it didn't have a link explaining, wait a minute, what is this all about? And basically it was saying that, uh, Minnesota authorities, we're using contact tracing on um, arrestees, on arrested protesters. And now we have, and really it's just been in the past day, that we've really gotten some, you know, a little more understanding and a little more color, as they say, on what what exactly is, what what's that all about? What is this, what are, what are these officials, you know, and police and everything, what are they saying when they say that they're engaging in contact tracing? And of course, because... Like I said, add that term to your lexicon. And we said this over a month ago, add that term to your lexicon because it's going to get 
you know, it's just a matter of time and it's going to get used against you in far more than in matters of public health, you know, and in, as far as like relations to COVID-19 and so on. Well, guess what? We didn't have to wait long for that to happen. Uh, of course, I mean, now, you know, I, I, we have the sovereign tech saying of any and all data uh, collected or any and all data that you create can and eventually will be used against you. It's to the point now that basically any and all technology that exists can and will be used against you. I mean, that's really how it feels. Um, but regardless, so that the story I have here is from Coindesk. Here's the headline and it's from June 2nd. So very fresh, uh, Minnesota official alarms, privacy advocates with contact tracing comments. And I want to read some of this cause it's going to raise some very good points Points that were also made by members of the Sovereign Tech Telegram group and that I second, of course. Um, I mean, I've been espousing for quite some time, quite some years, in fact, to get comfortable with being without your phone, whatever that ends up looking like. And amazingly, well, we'll get to the, you know, and then that certainly applies to a lot of this, a lot of the, you know, protesting and riots and so on. Amazingly, the end of this article raises raises perhaps a similar point. We'll, we'll talk about it, but here we go. Uh, at a press conference uh, Sunday, uh, Minnesota Department of Public Safety Commissioner John Harrington compared the methods police were using to identify protesters to those used to track COVID-19 cases. We've, quote, begun analyzing the data of who we have arrested and begun actually doing what you would think as also is almost pretty similar to our COVID. It's contact tracing. Who are they associated with? What platforms are they advocating for? Uh, end quote. He said the department of public safety works in partnership with local state and federal law enforcement and emergency response agencies, public health and privacy experts reacted with alarm saying that conflating law enforcement and contact tracing could hamper COVID-19 tracing efforts by sowing distrust of the process as protests continue across the U S quote, you need people to engage with contact tracing to save lives during an epidemic, end quote, said Nigel Smart, a Belgian professor who has been a key figure in pushing Europe towards decentralized uh, contact tracing protocols. He said that from a public policy point of view, the statement was both worrisome and short-sighted, quote, making people think that contact tracing could also be used for political uh, or law enforcement may make people less likely to engage with contact tracing during an epidemic, which will lead them to unnecessary loss of life. End quote. The sentiment was echoed by Caitlin Rivers, an assistant professor at the John Hopkins Center for Health Security, which is closely tracking the spread of COVID-19 across the U.S. Quote, this is not contact tracing. There's an exclamation point there, folks, by the way, reading on. What is described in this video is police work, end quote, said Rivers in a tweet. Quote, to see the two linked jeopardizes the credibility of public health, which needs community trust to work effectively, end quote. Protests over police brutality and the death of George Floyd have raged for days in Minneapolis and across the U.S. George Floyd was an African-American man who was killed by police when an officer kneeled on his neck and choked him for more than eight minutes. The incident was caught on video. The U.S. does not have an official database for tracking police brutality, but... Well, you, you think in all these concerns that they have, how are we going to round up the protesters? How are we going to round up COVID-19 people, you know, people infected? How are we going to round up this? They, they can't create a national database against their own. Oh, of course they wouldn't. Reading on. Or even in a state database, maybe. 
But according to the research group Mapping Police Violence, last year alone, police killed more than 1,000 people, with black people disproportionately among those killed. Concerns over undermining contact tracing efforts are exacerbated when black people are twice as likely to die from COVID-19 in America. Contact tracing is the process of ascertaining whom people infected with, we know what contact tracing is. Um, government, health experts, and privacy advocates have been debating for weeks how invasive privacy speaking, uh, or yeah, invasive privacy speaking contact tracing tech would need to be. I think they, they, they got that off of it. Um, look, I want to comment on this for once for a minute here. Almost every security specialist that has any kind of voice that I've heard talk about contact tracing at this state, at this state in the, in the situation, shall we say, you know, we're in June, 2020 here. Okay. All of them have said contact tracing will not work. It's inherently flawed. And that's not even getting into, and we kind of hinted at it throughout the show, but we also have the fact that Bluetooth which is a major technology behind con this kind of contact tracing is uh, I mean, it, it's inherently not secure. It's, it's insecure. Uh, there's the bias attack, which yes, you know, there's patches for that to some degree, but that only goes, that only works so far. So there are rampant problems with this whole concept, you know, of contact tracing and most security researchers are saying, I mean, and, 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 you know, they're just like, well, look, this isn't going to work anyway. <laughs> you know, that's cute that you want to try this and they're probably going to try other implementations of it, but it doesn't work. It's completely ineffectual. Reading on a little bit, Adam Schwartz, a senior staff attorney at the EFF, was alarmed by law enforcement's suggestion that surveillance of protesters and their beliefs and associations is similar to contact tracing. Quote, public health officials undertaking contact tracing must never share the personal information they collect with police, immigration enforcement agencies, or intelligence officials, end quote, said Schwartz. Quote, in fact, we need new legislation to guarantee this. Likewise, contact tracing should gather the least possible information, retain it for the shortest possible period of time, and use it for nothing except contact tracing, end quote. Now, that's very, very sweet of the EFF to somehow think that, A, what they have to say really matters. B, <laughs> I used to be a supporter, used to be. Then they got all political. Um, look, this wouldn't get, if there, this wouldn't have been allowed to pass and wouldn't have been worked on and implemented so quickly if Every government agency didn't see advantages to it being implemented. Otherwise, it would have been, I mean, there would have been debate after debate from certain aspects of the political machine that maybe actually have some concern around privacy and so on. But no, and in fact, for the EFF to even be on board with contact tracing does not speak well of them at all when, you know, most of their experts, some of which who I think are even on their board, if they have a board, uh, know that contact tracing isn't going to work. You know, I mean, I, I get where they're coming from. They're saying that, you know, using the term contact tracing, uh, you know, in, in the context of these protests, okay, is, and, and if I've been saying riots and whatever, well, anyway, whatever, with these protests is going to, you know, conflate it, give, give it a negative connotation and raise privacy concerns. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Of course that's happening. But did you expect anything different? <laughs> really? I mean, you thought 
that somehow this is going to be contained to just health concerns? Seriously? And I mean, and, and for them to come out and say, well, this isn't really contact tracing. Don't use that term. They're politicians. They're morons. Of, of course they're going to. <laughs> but it really is. And I think they really are engaging in it. I mean, they're doing so much stuff behind the scenes. I mean, the DEA is now being used for surveillance outside of their mandate of drug enforcement. I mean, it, it we know that now Buzzfeed, you know, pulled out the, whatever leaked uh, memos that they got on that situation. Um, and that has terrible ramifications within it because it's basically calling out not just, uh, um, you know, groups that letters begin with, uh, with a or, or others, but now it's, it's basically saying, you know, look out for anything that's anarchistic which, Hey folks, I'm an anarchist. I mean, I'm the most peaceful guy you're ever going to meet in your life. And I espouse only peace, but it sounds like the DEA is looking, is gotten the, you know, carte blanche excuse to, to, you know, see over anarchists. And now, I mean, as far as all that's going, I mean, it, it's getting insane. You have ANCOM groups and others uh, as an anarcho-communist who are shutting down Facebook groups, um, you know, because they're afraid that they are going to get, and part of that probably has to do with this contact tracing because it's going to eventually lead to them. And then, you know, oh, was there violent speech on here? We could end up going to jail, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you've got people in some very real fear right now. And I mean, that we didn't even get into what Trump's trying to, how he's trying to legislate against social media. That, that, that's, that's a whole other ballgame. But this is all to say, yeah, the, you know, when, <laughs> I mean, they're not, it doesn't appear that they're actually using um, like the new contact tracing abilities because supposedly you have to have an app installed to, while the contact tracing can be activated on your iOS device or Android device, um, and it's, it's like a, you know, it's a, it's a toggle that you would activate. You have to have an app installed in the first place for it to even be toggled on. So as far as using that pro that specific protocol, and even then, you know, th that, that can't be it because supposedly, you know, Apple and Google that, that I, I was told that that information would be more or less anonymous unless they're just going to hand it all over at this stage. Um, so they're not engaging in the same, I mean, it's accurate when these, when these commentators are saying you're not doing contact tracing, like COVID-19 contact tracing, you know, I don't, I don't know what was in there. What was in the politicians heads. I mean, I don't think there's anything in their heads, but I don't know what was in their heads thinking of calling this contact tracing, but the concept is the same. And so I, it's not necessarily unfair at the same time for them to say that it's not COVID-19 contact tracing, but ultimately if this all ends in with people thinking, Oh, contact tracing. This isn't good. Yes. The authorities and tech companies will just come up with a different term for the same thing. But I mean, that could be a win if people are, are vehemently against the whole notion of contact tracing. But the really, the only way to stop anything like this kind of, uh, uh, contact tracing or, um, you know, th this, this, erosion of your privacy or this collection of your data or this tracking of you is in the last part of this story. I want to read it here. Harry Helpin, a technologist and CEO of NIM, a privacy tech startup said the technique of contact tracing is the same, whether it's detecting, which is what I was just saying, whether it's detecting coronavirus spread or targeting uh, political protesters in the U S supporting black lives matter. 
but that underscores the need for systems that by design don't allow information related to COVID-19 to be shared with law enforcement. Quote, here's his quote. The real danger is that COVID tracing apps in the name of public health will be weaponized against dissidents, which is why we must support decentralized alternatives. Uh, end quote, said Halpin. Quote, overall, if possible, here, here we go. This is what this guy's saying. If possible, Always leave your phone at home, even at protests. Woo! Thank you. Thank you. I mean, do we, is, is, could someone want to give me a, a heads up on Harry Halpin? Is he some kind of nut job that I don't know that he's a nut job or something? Because I certainly get called out whenever I mention a name that somebody thinks is a nut job. And so, holy shit, I can't support Top Attack anymore. I'm fucking. And it, is this guy crazy or something? Because I feel refreshed. Yeah, I'm actually going to use that. I feel refreshed that someone else finally came out and said, overall, if possible, always leave your phone at home, even at protests. Other people get it. Here I am. I'm thinking I'm the only person. Me and, and, you know, maybe some other listeners of the show, we're, we're the only people that are recommending this, 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 this radical act of not having a smartphone with you at all fucking times of the day. Oh, oh. That's outrageous. Who? No one else would dare recommend that. Brian Sovereign, you are insane. Well, I guess so is Harry Helpin. I guess so are a lot of other people, fortunately, who I've also seen, we can name the names, who have also come out and said, hey, stop carrying your phones around. Now that gets met with the response of, yeah, but if we don't have the phones, we don't have the cameras, we can't uh, hold, you know, the police accountable, blah, 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 blah. No, 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 there are cameras that existed before there were smartphones. There are technologies that existed for the purpose of recording that existed well before that, that are still exist in existence today that you can purchase that are actually cheaper than smartphones. Or if you want, you could buy dumbass burner phones and go out there, you know, strip out the SIM card or whatever. Yeah, but then I can't stream it live. Well, let me tell you something, another thing, folks, and I'm seeing way too much of it is there are a lot of people who are using this for 15 minutes of fame. They're using some very serious concerns, some very serious issues, some very serious events to just bolster the fucking selves. And there might be few things worse because that's more of that. What we were talking about earlier, you're not living for yourself. You're living for the fucking crowd. Fuck you. No, I, I mean, look, if you want to show up at a protest, you want to actually like make a statement. Okay. Peacefully. Hopefully. Don't have your smartphone with you. Because I, I mean, because you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Right now, it, it appears that law enforcement of all stripes, you know, can't contain what's going on. I mean, the reality that there's more of us than there are of them, okay, in that abstract notion, is really coming to head here. But if you think that months from now, if when, I say that if when this comes down. Months from now, if you think they're not going to come back and you're not going to get retroactively bitten in the ass for being a, a part of these protests, and they're going to have the data to supposedly prove it because of contact tracing, 
it might as well be called contact tracing. Yes, it's not the same and it's not using the exact technologies as, you know, the coronavirus spread and tracking that, but it is in the abstract the same. I agree with that. This is, this is going to come back for you. This is the importance of anonymity. I mean, fortunately it's, 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 and amazingly, I don't want to say fortunate, but I mean, amazingly it's socially acceptable to wear masks right now, you know, to have face coverings on. So nobody's arguing or thinking that you're inherently violent because of that. But then what does the mask matter? In fact, really what does facial recognition matter? Or, you know, none of those technologies are even needed. when you can be traced in such a way. And I mean, and, and, and the, the time will come because right now I imagine also Google, Apple and everyone else. I mean, they're, they're, they're probably flooded with data that they can, you know, it's unstructured data that they can't really organize just yet, but eventually they will. And that's going to paint a picture. And when that picture paints you, well, I don't want to think anything, you know, bad or tragic would happen, but I'd be worried. Even if you're not a protester, even if you're just walking to the store because of the inherently flawed nature, actually of specifically the more, the, the aspect of contact tracing, not necessarily like, okay, let's find the exact IP of that person. Then we know who they are or their Mac ID or whatever, you know? Um, I mean, just imagine that how many false arrests there could be. Because just because you were carrying your phone around and you happen to be in a spot where, you know, a, a flash protest occurred or something and aha, you were one of those. No, I was just going to get some avocados. Oh yeah. Avocados. That can happen. This, all of this, this 2020 has been a year that's highlighted all the cracks in the system. The best thing you can do is learn to live in those cracks, to avoid being even seen by the system. Regardless, if you're an activist, protester, go down the list of it. Do what you can to not be seen by it. And of course, do what you can to not, not have to subsist off of it as much as possible. And with that, I thank you and leave you to the rest of your day. That'll be it for this episode of Sovereign Tech. I will see all of you woo, on the other side. Thank you for listening to Sovereign Tech, an Osiris One production. Now go out there and make some trouble. <laughs>